there's nothing better as a producer than hearing that an audience member or members or, you know, thousands of them or hundreds of thousands of them have been moved by a piece of content. And I think that's why, certainly why Morgan and I make film. And if there's any way to help us make our decisions better and, and make our content hit at the heart of humanity in a better way, then we're gonna, we're gonna mine for that data. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your host, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. And welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast, where we talk about everything that's actually disrupting the industry and the people that are causing that disruption. And I'm joined by my friend and brother, Ricky Ray Butler. How you doing, Ricky? Doing fantastic. How are you doing, Daryl? I am so excited for today because like we, we've been talking about this guest for a very long time and I couldn't wait to get her actually on. Do you want to do a quick intro? Yes. We are so fortunate and lucky to have Lori McCreary with us today. Um, Lori is someone in this industry that I really respect and look up to. Um, she's just been a game changer. And one thing that's really interesting about Lori is that she has a computer science background. And so her perspective with entertainment and technology and data is very interesting. But she's also produced some of you know amazing shows from Madame Secretary to um, Story of God, which was the highest rated show by National Geographic. And then also um, um, worked with Morgan Freeman on Invictus. And um, she's the co-founder of Revelations Productions, which she co-founded with Morgan Freeman, I believe, in 1996. Yeah, and so... No, Lori's very involved with the PGA. She's done a lot for this industry, and Hollywood Reporter even um, named her as one of the top, most influential women in Hollywood. And so, Lori, thank you so much for making time for us and, and, and being on this program. Thank you, Ricky. That's a great introduction. I appreciate it. And nice I was just going to check to see if he was okay, if that, if it was, <laughs> that intro was good enough for you. <laughs> no, um... I, I'm excited for a couple reasons. And uh, when when Ricky first off was saying, hey, Lori might be a possibility coming on the podcast. I'm like, oh, yes, because like he's mentioned some of the stuff that you kind of look at Hollywood a little bit differently. And just because of your role and just because of your, your background, uh, would you mind just kind of giving us a synopsis of how you got started and up to, to today? And we can kind of jump into very specific questions on, you know, what's really disrupting the industry right now. Sure, sure. Well, I come at Hollywood kind of circuitously through the tech industry. Um, and I started in, in um, theater when I was eight years old. And I thought when I got into college, what I wanted to do was own my own theater. And they were computerizing the lights and the sound system. So I thought, oh, I should just go get a computer science degree. So I got a computer <laughs> science degree. Okay, first off, who does that? <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> I mean, AV for, for, for theater. Like, who does that? <laughs> It turned out really well for me because what I realized is I was one of the few people that was straddling both um, at UCLA, both uh, schools. Um, and they told me when I first went that I could make my own major. So I basically wrote a, made, uh, wrote a paper about how the technology industry was going to affect the entertainment industry and why I wanted to do a, um, my major in that. And they looked at me and said, what? No, you got to pick one. They're different on different sides of campus. You either have to do engineering or you have to do theater. And, and they said, and we, we think you should do theater. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, I guess I'm going to go to the engineering wow. school and get a computer science degree. And I wish I had that paper because I really thought 
that with the advent of the new things in tech, that it would really help us with storytelling and change our business. But what I ended up doing was starting a software company with um, two individuals um, for legal software. And I was a coder and I was a really good coder. So they brought me in and I took like a detour and started writing applications for lawyers. And um, while I was in college, I, we had you know 22 employees and I was running this technology company. And, um, but I woke up one day and I was like, what am I doing? Do I want like my tombstone to say, Lori helped lawyers build people. <laughs> and uh, I, I had an epiphany, I did. I was like this, I love doing it, I love coding. Um, but I thought, you know, I really want to tell stories that change people's lives. And so I literally left. I kept my stock, which turned out to be really good about 10 years ago when they sold um, and decided what I really wanted to do is get into storytelling. And so I went back, saw a bunch of theater. And my first film was a play that I saw in London with a lawyer friend of mine. And we decided we needed to make it into a film. And so with, so I come to as a producer with an entirely different view of technology and what it can do for our industry. And, um, and I'm usually thinking a little ahead, like our, our um, small software company back then was um, the first to hook up a little handheld computer to a copier before copiers were digitized. So I'm always kind of trying to think of how technology can help us in our businesses. And that's how I approach um, the entertainment industry as well. So I, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, first off, um, that you could write your own, hey, I want to do my own major and they had you pick. But um, and, and if you ever find that document, I think the world I needs know. to see that for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of universities could use that as a, as a, as a point <laughs> of understanding where, where things are converging, right? Mm -hmm. um, but taking a, the approach of that you're really passionate about theater, you're really passionate about the, the tech side, and the, the merging of that, um, over the course of you being in school, what was the most dramatic shift that, that has been done in the industry technology-wise that you're like, ah, that makes sense, or oh, we should have done this sooner? Well, boy, there's there's a few dramatic shifts. The first being the first being time shifting, time shifting watching. I think that's changed the audience viewing, which also changes the what we think about when we're making uh, film and TV. Um, the digital cameras, it took, I was pushing that rock up a hill for a really long time with a lot of uh, people really resistant to saying digital will never be as good as film. Um, and, and then recently, the, the whole online distribution of film and TV day and date around the world. And back in 2005, Morgan and I started a company with Intel called Clickstar, which was the precursor basically to streaming, streaming services. And our, our thought back then, which now has come true, was we have to get ahead of the technology companies coming in and starting to run our business. Because as content creators, if we own it, if we own the data, we can drive where the business is going. And we tried to get the industry to see that this is what was happening. And there's our, our business is so great because it has all this great culture and all this great history. Sometimes it also is the thing that holds us back. They didn't want to take things out of theaters too soon. They didn't want to see the industry kind of change. And so there was a resistance to it. And the things that I said back then, which was, I don't want software. I don't want films and TV to go the way of software when I was a software engineer. When I was a software engineer, we spent thousands of hours developing code. And then what would happen is IBM or somebody would come in and say, hey, you get 10 
or a hundred free pieces of software with this big computer. And they became the thing to sell the other thing. And I was afraid back then in 2005, I used that example that, you know, a big tech company would use our content, get a hundred free films and buy this computer or buy this widget for your house or buy whatever. And unfortunately, I think that's what has happened um, is that the, the owners of the companies that are out there are, are pulling people in and, and it, it's starting to erode somehow the, the belief that content is valuable, that film and television content has a bigger value than just, you know, signing a subscription. I think that's a point of discussion because mm -hmm. I think this is something that Ricky and I are both really passionate about is it the quantity of, okay, you can have a new movie every week and all you gotta do is join our service or we have this or that. Is it, is it, it the, the quantity or is it quality? And I truly do believe that um, there will always be quality because you have some amazing creators and they're willing to, to put the money behind their vision and, and, and have the effort of it. But I do believe that we're being saturated right now uh, with just, just, sub you know performing content and people are okay with it just because they have that that netflix sub subscription or whatever and they're like oh okay i can i can endure this um even though that i don't think anyone should endure it you know but i don't know when ricky what do you, what's your thoughts no i i agree i i think it really all comes down to the content and um i i'm very you know i'm very nuanced in particular of like what i like to watch and there's some pieces of content that have come out where um, I don't think it has gotten the attention it deserves. Like, for example, I don't, I don't know if you've both heard of the series Zero, Zero, Zero. It's probably one of the most expensive production you know, budgets of, of 2020. It's on Amazon Prime. It's basically, that's why I love gangster movies and gangster shows. It's basically how the Mexican cartel does work with the Italian mob in Italy and how this American broker helps with all of this. It's a fascinating, expensive production, um, and and it's just going to be one of those things I think is going to have a long tail effect. Maybe it's not the front of the line of what's being promoted, but it's just going to add you know to the high quality portfolio that Amazon's building. And I think there's those shows are similar to that on Netflix, Disney. I mean ac across the board. So one thing that's also happening is I think you know humans and and the viewers are in the position to really truly decide what will succeed and what will not. And, and so distributors and the streaming platforms are going to have to be a lot more data driven in the future. What do you, you think is the next wave, you know, with your technology background and also your successful background in, in, in producing, what is the next wave of streaming and content? That's a, that's a great question. I think we're probably in the midst of the great thing about the fact that now that the studios and the entertainment industry has jumped on, going on from my last comment about technology taking over is that the, the content creators are now having their own streaming services, which is really great. And there's a lot more competition for a few months there. It was a little nerve wracking because I thought that we were going to have fewer and fewer places to sell our content. So as, um, as content creators, I think it leaves a great opportunity. And I think what's going to happen is when you democratize filmmaking and storytelling, which is basically what digital cameras and the advent of streaming networks, did. We can you can white label a streaming uh, platform and put out your own your own content, which is really great. 
But as you said, it, 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 there's a lot, there's just so much content, then how does an audience find it? I think that one thing that's trending now are, mic are niches, like micro niches. But if you get a micro niche that is in every single country, it becomes its own audience. And so the, the, there will be more and more um, niche market content that's out. Um, more and more, in, you know, indigenous from the country it's it's in that comes out to us, like you've seen at the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, some non-English speaking um, for uh, international films coming out where people are saying, oh, this is a great movie. And we're going to be um, exposed to a lot more content than we would have had had it taken, you know, longer. I think with, with what's happened with us all in lockdown, we've been able to um, consume more content and also people are, are more apt to watch things on streamers than going out to the theaters right now. So I think that's all contributed. Yeah, it's really exciting, this decentralization that you're talking about. And there's a lot of assumptions that we have from old data and archaic ways of saying, oh, this is going to be consolidated. Someone's going to control all of this. And I think there's going to be something different than consolidation. I think it's called innovation. I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be new infrastructures, new technology that's going to make it so we can continue to go down this trend. You know, as, as I referenced earlier, you know, today with you, um, Lori, that, you know, Daryl and I have worked on, you know, a production that was very niche for a specific community that um, wanted better content and it ended up being very successful. You know, the shows that it's a faith-based production. That's, just, we're seeing this at the tip of the iceberg. I think this is going to be much bigger. It's be, it's become much more decentralized, and it's probably, as you just said, going to be way more localized. Everything right now is very global um, when it comes to video and and streaming. But I, I agree with you that you know we have we don't even know what it's going to look like when this sophistication with tech and with production equipment um, gets even more distributed. What's going to happen on the local level? There's going to be a lot of localized productions that are probably going to be self-sustained because people want something that speaks to them. I completely agree, and it's so exciting the opportunities for new producers coming up. They can they can do something that they know because I think the best productions come from people who have a passion for what they're telling. And if you're telling your stories from the place that you grew up in or where your family's from, it we're going to get some really amazing content, and it's a really exciting time for producers. Yeah, and yeah. I think too, I think what's really interesting is. It's the monetization, right? Like, like um, you got to look at how are we going to distribute it? How are we going to monetize it? And I think there's more creators coming into the space that want to own it. Uh, they don't want to just give up all rights because they want to own that community. They want to own that licensing. They want to own that distribution. And I think this is where it gets it gets fascinating because there's new opportunities for businesses to come in when they have this new mindset. And I think, you know, uh, way back when in 2005, when YouTube started, I don't think people realized how much of a disruption that actually was going to cause in the entertainment world. But it became pretty clear immediately in, in uh, music, in the licensing of music and then eventually uh, movies, but these new creators that are integrated with technology and understand all these aspects don't necessarily need these huge budgets to pull something off, but they need an adequate budget. And the adequate budget, uh, I, I see content that you know might be for tens of millions of dollars that feel like hundreds of million dollars type of production because of the technology that they're able to use now and and the more the 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 power behind that. And so I, I'm really um, interested to see 
these new creators coming into the space of all these new toys that they can use to bring the cost down and then also new ways to distribute it, which they can own more of the, of the, of the money and the, of the, you know, of the IP and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, Daryl. And I think that with the, whenever blockchain becomes ubiquitous, we will, as content creators, we'll be able to track our own content, make sure it's registered and make sure that it doesn't go out, you know, into the world without us seeing the revenues right now. It's difficult for producers because the old paradigm was that if you made a great film, you got keyed onto box office. If you were a gross player, you knew exactly what you were going to get on the tail end of your um, of your revenues and of your profit. And right now it's really difficult um, for producers to really hang on to anything. If you set, you could sell a movie that is a huge hit and gets a, you know, a, I don't know, 10 million subs for whoever you're selling it to. And you might not get paid on that. You might just say, oh, I made a great movie that a lot of people are watching. And so we've got to kind of connect the creators and content makers back with the revenue chain and make sure that we're all that everyone along that chain is is ticking up a little bit so and let's talk blockchains because i think the blockchain is the only way i mean it is the future of how to get that 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 credit and attribution back right yeah. um so how do you envision that like in the next couple of years do you feel like it will take over you know on some platforms and then those creators will kind of gravitate to that because then they can att get attribution and the monetization that comes to that I think that someone's going to have to prove prove it. I think someone's going to have to do a proof of concept and and spend a boatload of money developing a system, developing software. I mean, I feel like I'm back in 2005. We did it in 2005 when there was no, you know, white label product to stream services. We basically hired a bunch of engineers and built our own. It takes a lot of money now to go out and build a blockchain platform that can do distribution for films, but the first person who does it and then gets, you know, 10 filmmakers, top filmmakers to distribute their films that way. And they see the, the revenue coming in directly. I think, I think our business, the great thing about the entertainment business and the bad thing about our, the entertainment business is once there's a business model that's proven, everyone will jump into it. That might yeah. take them a couple years, but then everyone does it. You see that with, you know, Disney Plus and Paramount Plus, everyone's jumping in, which I'm really happy about. It's it's taken in my estimation we're in what 2021. So it's a few years late for my, you know, 2000 and <laughs> really early 2005 uh push, but I feel like now if blockchain came out if someone like took the bull by the horn and just did it, that our industry would quickly fall into line, you know, three, four five years later. Yeah, that that right there, this is so exciting to hear, you know, from you, Lori. Um, blockchain, I, I remember just discussing this topic, just in like internal meetings and feeling like a, a crazy person <laughs> saying <laughs> that, you know, blockchain is going to be the future of entertainment. And mm -hmm. And even though like, it excites me, but it also triggers me that we're bringing this up because I just, you know, sold all my Bitcoin in December. And it was like my third biggest mistake of like selling oh. Bitcoin. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, I was thinking I wanted to be very disciplined in my investments. So I okay. came out on top, but, you know, obviously could have done much better. You now, That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with that said... You know, this is something, you know, that, that you know, Daryl and I have spoken about and, and, and I have an internal team that's and it's an innovation team where we have our top engineers and top data scientists where we're trying to predict what's going to happen in the next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. 
And this is something that, you know, we are already trying to like innovate is, is like, okay, how can we leverage blockchain to better scale the empowerment of artists and content creators? And, and there's going to be a lot of things that are happening there. And you're right. There's going to have to be one group or individual that proves it out when it comes to content. Cause there's like D live. There's a lot of different platforms that are like testing this, but I don't think anyone has, has made a home run yet, but it's, it's going to be one of those things that I think really will um, you know, protect the creator and also make it so, you know, they can be a lot more involved in, in the monetization of the content that they create. And it's, and, and, and I think it's going to just create even a, 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 a higher scale of decentralization that's accompanied with monetization. Now, well, I, Ricky, before you jump on, it's yeah. really important context wise. Sometimes industries are forced to go in a path that they didn't, they're resisting right now. And this last year, because of the pandemic and COVID, like there wasn't um, the ways to bring in money like it normally does. Like contracts had to be adjusted because there was assumptions of all the things that was going to happen was no longer happening. And so I think we're at a very pivotal point. There might be people listening to this podcast or whatever are going to be making these decisions to to test and to try because what's working is now I, I truly do believe the way the old distribution model and the old way of making money has been uh, knocked at and, and, and capped at the knees. And now we have to be more open of the long-term strategy, uh, which is how do you do re-releases and how do you really mm -hmm. leverage the IP in, in unique ways that we aren't necessarily doing before because it was more about, okay, what's that next project? What's the next, pro next project instead of really yeah. capitalizing on that? Well, it, it's about empowering communities, individuals, and creators, not third-party orgs that only help with the monetization and that only care about profit. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just going to individualize everything that we do. And I'll, I'll make a bold prediction that Uber and Lyft will go out of business eventually if they don't figure out how to better what they do with blockchain. Whoever comes out with a way that better empowers both users and drivers um, is going to be that next level of innovation. So when it comes to like technology, I think the next wave of technology is taking very manual, tedious things and being able to streamline and scale them. And you're going to see that with, with deep learning and with AI, and, and as well as when it comes to infrastructure like blockchain. It's going to be a really exciting time, but even more exciting for entertainment because I think there's a lot of people out there that thinks, okay, this is way too saturated, way too much going on. But what's happening is there's a refinement. It's, 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 it's putting a lot of data out there. Then it's going to make it so we all understand which data and which content is truly adored and loved. And it's going to help us optimize how we have just as much quantity, but with higher quality. I, th I think the powers that be are willing to test things now because they know mm -hmm. there's not necessarily the old way of doing things. I look at... Uh, HBO Max as one of the forerunners of that, regardless of what it is. I think their marketing strategy is just off the chain, especially when, oh, something actually got posted early. Oh, yeah, right. Like that's that's really what's happening. But they get the Internet to start talking about it. And then also, what is the life expectancy of a new subscriber and how much momentum is actually coming into it? And what they were able to do in a few months is what other other places took years to come and do. And I think it's just more about, hey, the dollar amount and quantity. And then two, incentivizing the creators that, that actually get the eyeballs so that there's uh, more 
um, more ability for them to, to scale and make money. I look at Adam Sandler, for example, and the, you know, the Happy Madison productions of like, even though I think his shows are pretty funny and, and it's great, but to have the worst movie ever made be the top, top viewed video or top viewed movie ever watched on Netflix in 2020 is an indicator that <laughs> not amazing content is there, but it's about that yeah. content creator, but also the ecosystem that they built, the fan base that is built. And I think that's the value that uh, uh, Amazon or, uh, uh, you know, HBO Max or uh, Netflix is going to have to attract. And those types of contracts will have to be different. And I think to easily introduce a blockchain model isn't necessarily unrealistic for some someone like that to do that. Now, yeah. it's, you know, I think that's where it's going to be interesting to watch. I would agree with you, Daryl. I think that the smartest in our business are amongst those in the studios that have kind of, they've now come out with their plus version, which is their streaming versions. And I know that there are really smart people in our business. And I also think that if they would reach out to the producing community, because producers are the ones who are really getting hit in this new world where we are not, un we're not a union, we don't have collective bargaining power. We basically go in and we're entrepreneurs every time we make a new, you know this, uh, every time you make a new project, you're like fighting for your piece of it. And so if there was something um, that uh, was introduced from one of the big streamers that had blockchain that would allow uh, producers and talent and directors and everyone down the line, I mean, even to the crew, to get a little piece of it, 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 it'll be a huge game changer. And I think that that's the way I, anybody out there who wants to do that, I'm definitely interested in talking about it. Yeah. It, it's so interesting, you know, in talking to you know, a lot of the leadership at the PG or Producers Guild of America, they're so hungry for innovation. It's, it's so amazing to see such a big group that's been around for a while that is so open to entrepreneurship and innovation where you talk to like Susan and Vance and they're like, yes, when you see things evolving in this area, please come to us and tell us about this. And I know that you've been a part of a lot of the disruption with the PGA on monitoring, you know, new areas. And let's talk about one area where we all got disrupted. Um, and that, that was with COVID and COVID-19 and, and um, with quarantine, et cetera. You know, um, one of our businesses is a product placement business where we're, our brands are 95% of the content of the top major um, streaming services and across a lot of television. And we were nervous when all the production shut down. Mm -hmm. I think it was between like four, six months. And there, there was a, a, a lot that was going down and, and our team was forced to innovate every way possible. And we were able to, you know, have a great bounce back with the industry. Um, but, but with that said, I know that you're, you're over the task force at the PGA around COVID-19. I would love to hear some insight of, you know, innovations that you found that help with this disruption. Hmm. It's, so, it's so interesting because the day we shut down in California, especially um, we were on the phone, Susan Sprung, the national executive director, and uh, Lucy um, and Gail, the presidents, talking about how do we get everyone back to work, um, knowing that we're literally just trying to figure out how to you know, run our own businesses remotely. And one of the things we, are, we really are committed to at the PGA is safety on sets. So this was just an extension of what the Producers Guild already puts out in terms of safety. And so we knew that there were going to be protocols coming down from AMPTP and the unions, but we also knew that we were going to need to publish something that was more in producer language so that we knew exactly like the practical applications 
of these rules and regulations and all of the data coming from CDC and epidemiologists. So we spent oh, weeks and weeks, if not three months, putting together these protocols called from lots of different sources that we could publish for the producers. And the great thing about our industry, I don't know if you've seen the reports from AMPTP, but our infection rate on productions across the country were less than a quarter of a percent. When Amazing. The world, yeah, when the rest of the country was 10 to 20 percent, sometimes 8 percent. But are we, are, are, should we plan on you running for president? Sorry, <laughs> not to get political. <laughs> no, but less than a quarter of a percent. And look, we're a little bit... Um, we're not like, um, we can control our, our sets a little more than some other businesses, but there are so many great things that we can do. I mean, just doing things like uh, airing out spaces every hour were, was huge in the beginning when we didn't really know that it was how it was transmitted. Uh, and now we're seeing that that was one of the big things that our business did that helped stop the spread in our, on our sets which is airing out, getting HEPA filters, getting the right filters and airing everything out every week. So that, that to us was a big win from our industry. Well, that that yeah, is we, a huge we, win. And it's something that positively made an impact on our businesses, big time. Yeah. No, thank you so much for innovating and figuring all that out. Um, Daryl, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, it's been a challenge. I mean, we we just barely got uh, we just wrapped season two and we're in post-production now of The Chosen. And it was, number one, very costly to to do all those covid tests of everyone that was coming on and going through that. And luckily, we only had two isolated cases, you know, for the amount of, of people that we've, that we've had. Great. Yeah, which is great. But I think what um, I think what it did was it was creating new problems <laughs> for production that they've never had to deal with before. Like yeah. there's like to put on a TV ser series and produce a TV show and produce a movie. There's all these complications. And then you add something even above and beyond that. No one knows what they're talking about. And 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 luckily, you know, we we had a lot of people with SAG and, you know, even with PGA that was like giving some really good. Here's some great standards mm. that helped us get through it. Like we 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 couldn't shut down. We we had to do it. It cost so much more money to do it. But if we would have delayed it, it would have cost us a lot, a lot of money. And mm. so it's like, how do we how do we do it? And we actually had um, something happen where we we were trying to get some extras on for this main scene of season two. And it was logistically a nightmare. We actually had to get an external company helping us do it. But because we had okay, hold, hold up now <laughs> to uh, 2300 people that was extras coming in and they all had to be COVID tested before they got there. And then they had to be quarantined and then did it again. And then we, we did it right. Um, you know, just this whole thing where they stayed in their car, they did a, the, the rapid test to go in, but uh, we only had to, to uh, turn away a couple cars uh, because if someone was, uh, you know, um, was diagnosed with, with COVID or they were, had some traces of it, they couldn't be in it, but we were able to pull it off. And I was shocked because TMZ reached out and I never seen TMZ ever do a positive piece, but mm. that was the first positive piece I've ever seen on TMZ wow. is they're blown away at how we were able to do it. And I think it was, uh, you know, the higher power that, that I believe in was involved with this, but also mm. the protocol that was set up and, and knowing how to, how to manage it and not just ignore it right. because there's just no way we could even do that. And, you know, luckily we only had a couple cases go through that and it didn't shut down production. We had a couple scares, but it didn't uh, shut down production. 
And we were able to go through that process. And I think the new normal now is, okay, this is not going to go away just because the pandemics, you know, there's a vaccine and stuff. What we need to do is like figure out people's safety and health as we're coming into it. And I'll be honest with you, it's going to be down to technology because uh, we have it where it was like app driven, you know, you send your tests in and then also apps that when, when someone's on the clock that they're not get, they're not being exposed to other people in there. And I think without that, I think it would have been very difficult to pull off uh, the show that we did and, and produce during, you know, the pandemic. Oh, well, congratulations on only two uh, close calls. That's fantastic. And that's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tests you were doing just on those extras. It was, well, just shy of a million dollars, but yeah. yeah oh my gosh. Was... Yeah, I was going to say they're like average is a hundred dollars a test right now. And it, yep. we're, um, we're hearing anywhere from 20 to 30% on top of your production costs is what you have to budget for COVID related expenses. It, it, it gets a little crazy. And I, I hate to say it, but we're going to be in PPE at least, maybe not with the same amount of testing through 2022. I don't think we're going to get out of having uh, people on set in zones um, yep. because we're not going to have herd immunity in the country or on our sets for a yep. long time. And I think that we need to protect those who, uh, for us from transmitting something that we don't know if we may be carrying. Well, and I think too, I think this is where production is going to shift. And um, there's a couple technologies that I'm really excited about. Uh, one is you have uh, ILM, um, uh, basically partnering with Epic Games and they have these new sets that you can go in and it's basically an LED wall all the way around 360 and that you have game uh, rendering engines in there and then they're able in real time to see a lot of the stuff. Yes, there's a lot of prep work that's going on, but this is the cool thing about where technology can go, um, where you can have a programmer in Nigeria programming for the stuff that's being sh shot there. So like a lot of people can remote in and do the set design. And if they don't like it, they, they can literally move it within seconds um, instead of, you know, trying to re redress it and re go through that and new, new scouting locations. And I think um, even though that there, not every style of production is there, I think people are going to be a lot more creative of how, how can we have people remote in and do certain different things uh, around the world instead of being localized in one area. We're doing that right now on a television production um, where, uh, where Morgan is do, basically doing history's greatest escape. So he's, he's walking through the escape route of famous prison escapes and walking you through it, interviewing people. And it's all going to be done in this virtual 3D. Um, I love it. Real time. And it's, it is, again, Ricky, I'm sure if I knew you 15 years ago, we would have been talking about this 15 years ago with machinima <laughs> and all of these things where people were saying, why can't we do it if video games can do it? But the idea of having a real-time rendering of a background as a character moves and able to track it to the character's move as opposed to telling the actor you have to move this way because we've created this world for you is a game changer in our business 100% for sure. For sure. I, I think innovation will only appear when it's needed. And well, if, you know, if there's ever a time we need it now more yeah. than ever. 100%. <laughs> um, did you see that stat that just came out? I believe it's close to 20% of Facebook employees are using VR. Now, we've been talking about VR for so long, and there's been so much hype around VR. And I still think the technology that's out there is way too clunky. 
um, for the end consumer. And, and by the way, I love Oculus. I use the Oculus. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm literally still waiting for your friend request. I've been requesting your friendship and you've denied me every single time. <laughs> I, I, I already told you, Daryl, and I've said it on this program, but I don't want to do that tap dancing game with you. I just, I just, I, I just, I, I, when I have time, I'll do it, but I have to prioritize my life in other areas. I, okay. I know that you're number one rated, you know, on that game, and you know, congratulations. Now, I, I will challenge you on that in one of these weekends. I promise. So, okay. and I will accept your friend request. But with that said, right now, there's a practicality that's now being seen of like, okay. We do need to better connect digitally. Zoom is not the answer for everything. And, and it's, it's amazing to now like, see that, okay, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, not just when it comes to our own personal entertainment, because it's a little too expensive for the end consumer to, for everyone to have you know, a VR headset. However, when it comes to businesses and when it comes to productions, we can now leverage this technology and figure out, okay, this will help us streamline and optimize what we're doing so we don't have to slow down um, when we have to be quarantined or if we can't be together as often. And that's just really exciting. And, and so even with, with our own um, business at Ben Group, we're now realizing, you know, some of the ideas and the loon shots that we were trying to do a couple of years ago were go taking us in the right direction. But now we're saying, whoa. For us to truly achieve, for example, automation when it comes to um, working with celebrities and influencers or when doing product placement with now uh, over, there's now over a, th over a thousand Hollywoods out there. You know, now that the scale is there and we are forced to innovate, we've realized, whoa, we were looking at this wrong. And now that we need this right now today, we have to reprioritize everything that we that we do based on you know the technology that we're building as well as how we look at data differently. So it's really exciting, and 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 Lori, you know, you're someone that I feel like has been a champion for technology. You've 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 always been very innovative. Everyone that I know that knows you like praises you of being this like thought leader out there. Um, where do you see, for example, something like VR coming in? Like, you know, obviously you shared, you know, applications of where you're seeing it being effective, but um, when is it going to be something that's necessary for the end consumer or for the viewers? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, the, I think that you're right in that the cost of having to wear something on your face becomes the, the block right now. Um, I think that when, when we can do something that isn't, uh, require that you have to buy new equipment that is a singular experience part of content storytelling is um kind of having a having your group watch things together and see things together so i think once we can get rid of whatever we're going to have to you know throw on our eyes to see something will be helpful I, I also think that it's really important for us to see that we're educating a huge huge mass of people on zoom right now with People put up their own backgrounds. People put up the AR that goes in front of you. You can have crazy things all over. This, I think, is we cannot underestimate the imagination of people that have either our, you know, our age that are looking at this and saying, oh, maybe I can do this, or the kids coming up that are going to see it as just normal as part of what we do. And so I feel like this, um, unfortunately, as we've been locked down, we've got done this kind of re-education. Daryl was talking earlier about contracts, having to have everything you know on in the cloud and and accessible by everyone, which blockchain could help. 
So I think that what it's doing is it's priming an entire art of the world, but our industry especially, to adopt more quickly. So these, these um, you know, virtual backgrounds are helping us because you don't have to then travel your actors to the same place. They can actually be acting together in an environment without being you know, close to each other. And I think that it it's necessitates uh, us taking advantage of this time, especially as people who think we see a little bit in the future to help everyone else see, see into the future so that we can start getting products to help us build these kind of um, stories that take advantage of all the great technology that's been there, but maybe hasn't been adopted into our industry as quickly as we would have all loved. Sure. And, well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, if you would have asked anyone or, or I'd say in our industry, in the entertainment industry, you know, how old school or how archaic um, the entertainment industry was like 10 years ago, everyone would be like, yeah, it's always worked a certain way. We're going to keep working in this, you know, way. But today, we're now seeing leaps and bounds and that it's one of the industries that's leading innovation. And, and I think the reason why is because we depend so much more on unstructured data, on imaging, visuals, mm. film, um, audio, mm. big groups of texts. And so we need to understand the context around this type of data. It can't be in a black box anymore. And it can't be from the gut and it can't be through assumptions or, um, you know, random ideas. I mean, I mean, we have to learn how to be data driven in a different way. And that's where AI and, and, and deep learning is going to really help us have technology that learns like a human but can scale like a machine. And so it, it's, it's, it's really exciting because every angle and every area of entertainment is forced to figure out how to innovate, including the talent, <laughs> you know actors realize that they need to start communicating and engaging and building their communities and their audiences in order to maintain relevance and clout, but also to understand how they need to be and then what they should be doing differently for them to be data driven. And, and so it's a really exciting time. And, you know, I think, I think all three of us have been very obsessing over all of this um, for, for a while, but it's here and now it's the opportunities is for anyone that wants to get involved, anyone that wants to be in entertainment, as long as you can contribute something with tech, innovation, or with data, you know, you will be able to be a part of this industry and you can make a huge difference because, because it's become so democratized. Well, and I think, I think the biggest thing, and this is what I've seen just with the advent of YouTube and these new creators coming in. Um, it's like the more information you can give them on how well something performs outside of revenue, they can make adjustments. And I, I work with some of the biggest creators on the planet and I can tell you retention levels is like the biggest thing. Oh, my audience didn't like this when I did this, like those types of calls need to go translate back to creators because then we're going to actually create content that engages. And I think that there's uh, old school creators that says, I'm going to do it my way. I won't go throw anybody in the bus on this one. But like, there's people like I, I will disavow everything that's been done in the past on the data that things that work for this specific audience. And we'll push it aside because I'm going to create I'm the creator of this. And I think now we're going to be more um, having more uh, producers and creators that are more data conscious where they realize, yeah, that's really good, but it, we can actually get them more enthralled if we did these types of elements in the, the, the writing or the character development or the progression of the story here that makes this fan group just go bananas. 
And I, I think that um, I think Netflix has been wise to, uh, you know, give data back to the creators. I think that uh, these new platforms that come on, I think the ones with the blockchain, I think that you could be uh, monetized differently based off of retention that will encourage basically that will encourage more creators to create content that that's within their own designs, but knowing how it will be translated out to that, that end viewer. And I think that's where it's going to elevate uh, content. Uh, we've seen it on YouTube and it's going to continue to uh, go across the board with this new type of creator. I, I agree with you. I think that part of the, our um, job as uh, communicators is to help the content creators, producers, directors understand that this data is different than um, audience survey data. That's different than when we used to go in and we used to get the audience and they'd check boxes on you know, would you recommend this to your, um, or what was your least favorite scene? That's one of my favorites. Like if, if it, if 80% of the people thought it was their least favorite scene, sometimes a studio would say, let's get rid of it. But it was the pivotal scene. It was their least favorite scene. Cause it was, you know, pissed them off, but it was part of the whole experiment of the, of the story. Like if you, if you got that scene out, it doesn't work. The whole movie doesn't work. So I think that if we can help, um, content creators see that this data that they don't have to take it wholesale, but it will inform their next, whatever the next episode is or the next film that they do. Like, oh, this is something that, you know, either everyone tuned out after seven minutes. Why? We don't know. We got to look into like deeper. And also, I think that it also helps us understand how to innovate because, you know, if you can see data and have AI that's giving you trends, then you can innovate into it as opposed to sit back and think, oh gosh, what am I doing? This is so much data, I can't handle it. So it, I think that there are also going to be a need for people who to translate data um, for content creators because it's- But hard. that's where the data scientists will come in. I think exactly. every creator is going to have to have a data scientist because if they yeah. don't, then it's like, okay, that's great that you're creating, but it's 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 a, a lottery in, yeah. in a lot of regard because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You don't know yeah. if you're going to hit the, the jackpot, right? But if you can better predict that if you add these elements in it, either through AI and a data analyst or both, then it's like, okay, here's some some foundational things that you can actually have in your, your content to make it the better script or make it the better type of retention. Um, and I think the creators that use it is going to, and, and, and are one with it are going to make better content because it's, it's, it's connecting with people in a way that is predictable. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're more predictable than that, I do, I truly do believe then you can have the, the type of concept where the creators will be more valuable. And if they're more valuable, they're going to make more money. And as they make more money, they're actually growing their audience bigger because it's connecting with people. And it's just kind of this perpetual thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so virtual snowball, it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, you know, in, in that, in that realm. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think every uh, production house. Oh yeah. 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 Every production I, I, house will need a data scientist because you have to take out all the guesswork possible. And that doesn't mean that you're going to limit creativity. If anything, it's going to make it so you can better optimize and scale creativity. Um, one focus that, you know, our data science team has really been excited about is understanding the life cycle of a production. And of a series. So yes, we want to be able to predict how many views or impressions it's going to get in the first seven days or the first 30 days. But now we're going like much deeper and we're thinking, okay, what's going to happen to season one when season two is announced and when season two launches? And what's so exciting is that the data, there's so much data out there where you can do that and we can predict, okay, 
now that season two is coming, all the work we did with season one is going to have a long tail, you know, lasting impact where there's going to be another peak, another spike. And, and we, we used you know, Bayesian modeling to be able to figure out, okay, it's going to at least be this much or at most this amount. And it, it, it's amazing that this type of stuff is happening because it's always been there. Just no one's put the resources and the, and, and have, um, you know, really invested in innovation and it's going to be that times a I mean a thousand soon of, of like what is going to be possible uh, we also you know so one of our head um research um data scientists is a neuroscientist and literally all day every day figuring out how to better contextualize the data specifically video where okay what happened? What were the features and factors that happened in this time frame that made it so there was more impact, whether it's on views generated, on engagement, or on conversions? If you know, if there was you know a, a format where conversions could be measured, and and we're just barely getting to the beginning of this, and everyone's trying to figure this out. But the reason why there's been so many companies like, you know, the big platforms and a lot of the huge tech businesses, no one has really validated that the quality is from within the content and within the creative. And, and, and so you have to look at it differently. And I think us as a human race, we're just barely getting started and it's going to not make it so we just better understand what content can do and what um, we can do to benefit and like, you know, monetize that content, but it's also going to help us better understand humanity and the earth because art preserves culture, preserves history and us understanding art better. And the science behind it is I think going to level our entire human race and our planet up on, on, on what could potentially happen in the future. Sorry. I, I, I try not to go on those tangents. Hey, that often. No, no, no. It, I, I think it's very relevant. I think the the biggest thing is, this is a business. And if you have a choice to have data and make data-driven decisions on how to improve your content versus, hey, I have a good idea, what, where's the industry going to go? And then two, for those content creators that are coming on, and just to emphasize your point, Ricky, is it's going to elevate where it connects with, with people deeper. And that's where I remember the moment that I was sitting in the movie theater and watched Empire Strikes Back, which is the best movie of all time, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I remember that. And I, I can remember feeling that. And it connected with me deeper. And that's why not only am I a Star Wars fan, but all my, 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 my kids are Star Wars nuts, right? And it, it's because of that moment. And I think those moments will happen more frequently with things that we're passionate about because these creators are, are looking at all aspects of their art. And one of the aspects of their art is better storytelling. Well, why are they going to discount data that's going to help predict that, that what they're trying to accomplish will connect even deeper with humanity. And that's where that art form mm -hmm. is going to be amplified is because we have more data points. That's fantastic. I think that what you guys are pointing out in, in the whole AI data of it is to not be afraid, especially new, new filmmakers, new producers. Don't be afraid of it because it might be the thing that gives you a leg up to get your first hit and then, and then you can innovate after that. I think some people are afraid of data because they're feeling like you said earlier, Ricky, it's, it's, um, it's stopping the creativity. But I think like you said, what it does is it actually frees you up 
to have to have this area to play in where it's a little bit more predictable in terms of, oh, I, I'm going to actually be able to make my next movie, not just a one-off. And, um, and for me, Daryl, the, there's nothing better as a producer than hearing that an audience member or members or, you know, thousands of them or hundreds of thousands of them have been moved by a piece of content. And I think that's why, certainly why Morgan and I make film. And if there's any way to help us make our decisions better and, and make our content hit at the heart of humanity in a better way, then we're going we're gonna to mine for that data. And Ricky, I'm coming to you for all the data you're talking about because it'll also help make our deals because our deals are kind of based on old deals in the past. And we now need to start looking at data and figuring out how to, how to negotiate our deals for the future. Absolutely. No, 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 that all makes sense. And um, one thing I, I really want to ask you as we need to start wrapping this up well, actually, there's two questions, and Daryl might have another question as well. <laughs> He's usually better at this wrap-up part. Um, one, you know, what are you the most excited about in the industry? Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be data or technology, but, like, what is something that is just really sticking out that's, you know, you're just really passionate about? And then, two, what are you watching right now? Ah. I, I think a lot of people are interested of, like, you know, from a creator's perspective – what are they enjoying and what are they binge watching if they're, if, you know, if you have the time to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, which one, which one should I take first? Um, um, let's say, let, let, let's do what you're watching right now. And then, okay. you know, the one that the, the things that you're the most passionate about. Um, let's see. I think streaming, I, I, my, my company tried to get me to watch it for a long time. Ted Lasso on Apple. I just thought it was so innovative, so different, so interesting. Uh, I loved it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, the Queen's Gambit, uh, uh, Scott Frank's direction of that what just brought me into this world that I never thought I, I mean, I like chess, but I was in it. Um, I thought it was amazing. I, I'm a. Did you did you go out and buy a chessboard? I, I have like three of them here. So <laughs> now I'm like looking oh, at them. Oh, I know. It, it made a lot of YouTubers a lot of big money now because chess is a really big vertical on YouTube right now because everyone's uh -huh. interested in it mm. to up their game. It's mm. crazy. Mm. And I think chess.com, I, I, I would love to see their numbers because I, I think the, the amount of sponsorship or the subscriptions went up by 10x because of everything that's going wow. on. Wow, that's crazy. amazing. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bridgerton, like all the time, happy. Um, that's Netflix, I think, and what mm -hmm. uh, Euphoria on HBO, Insecure on HBO. There's so much great content coming from unique voices that I'm just thrilled about. Morgan and I have been um, all about diversity in storytelling and in who we see on the screen and the fact that our business is now seeing it as a business and it's good business to do that is just music to our ears. We had a project on our slate for over 20 years that we've been trying to get set up, you know, and when you have Morgan Freeman, you think, oh, you're going to get this set up. It, it, we have now sold it to a big giant streamer because it is now something that's seen as, oh, this could be something that people will watch. So we're, I'm excited about where we are in the business because it's a, it's a time when unique voices from unique perspectives. I mean, Morgan's an African-American man. I'm a female in this business, which we used to be unicorns and now we're not. And I'm so thrilled that we're starting to hear now from producers, writers, and directors um, of all sorts that we can start um, like 
you know, getting into worlds that we might not know. It's really exciting for me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm Daryl. Anything to add? No, I, I think we've we've hit it. I Anyone that's going to invent the blockchain system to do what we talked about here is going to be very rich. I can tell you that right now. They'll get acquired quick. I agree. Thank you, Roy, agree. so much for, for you know, joining us. We'd love to have you again. This, this was a lot of fun to geek out. And um, it, it's fun when we have guests come on that love thinking about the future and data like you. And so thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And um, good luck with everything. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. All right. And thank everybody else for jumping on to this podcast or this live stream or however you're watching it. Make sure you follow us. You know what to do. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone.